soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. So as we pick it up in chapter 37, verse 1, we read this. Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors, a coat, a jacket of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and they could not speak peaceably to him. Verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream and he told it to his brothers and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I dreamed. There were There we were, binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and also stood up, and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheep. His brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us, or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is the dream that you've dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now we read on, verse 12. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said to him, His father, here I am. Then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him there and he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he that would be Joseph said, I'm seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They departed from here. For I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Verse 18. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer's coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say, Some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. And then they took him and cast him into a pit and the pit was empty and there was no water. Verse 25. 
And then they sat down to eat a meal, and then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh, and on their way, carrying them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then the Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph out, out of the pit and lifted him up and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Verse 29. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes, and he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and I, where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors and brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without a doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all of his sons and all of his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I shall go down to the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold him, that is Joseph in Egypt, to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. Well, we read the whole chapter here because it is a narrative that we pretty much need all the narrative to come to our application. This chapter is a little harder just to jump into and hop around. So it's good to just get the whole narrative there out for us, reading it, saying, all right, these are the events in order how they happened. We have the key players. We have Jacob, the father. We have Joseph. We have his brothers. We have Reuben by name. We have the stranger in the field who directs him to uh, Dothan. We have Judah by name. We have the Ishmaelite traders. And we have Joseph ending up at the house of Potiphar in the land of Egypt, uh, one of the you know guys that were officer of Pharaoh's court, captain for Pharaoh. Now, as we think about this story, and I mentioned in the introduction, God's always working on so much more than we ever think in general in his universe and personally in our lives. For all that we think we know that God is doing in our life, he's always doing so much more. And it's amazing, certain days, he'll connect dots for you. You just go, oh my goodness, God, you are so personal and you are over my life and you know the hairs on my head and you really care. And all these different pieces that might be your life, in one day, occasionally, he'll put them all together and you go, wow, God of the universe, Lord Jesus Christ, Savior of the world, is so personal. And he himself said he knows the hairs on our head. For his people, for his children, as many as receive him, the ones he calls his children. But of course, he's personal in other people's lives too. We see him raise up kings who give favorable decrees to send the Jews back to the promised land. We see him do things like Pilate condemns Jesus. And Jesus said, you could do nothing unless my father allowed it. It's all good. Like God, there's so, it's a, the human, human history and human events is just this giant panoramic mosaic of God doing so much more than we can even imagine. And that's why Isaiah the prophet said that as the heavens are above the earth, so are his thoughts and ways above ours. Just in the whole experience for us right now on this planet, sharing it. But then for our lives personally. And when we look at the life of Joseph and the events of Joseph's life, it really is a great encouragement to all of us. As we study his life, we just want to be able to sit back in awe and amazement and just say, man, the Lord is so good, and it's such a bigger picture. Now, from this chapter, we know at the end of his life, 
after his father is deceased, after they've already buried him back in the promised land, his brothers think he's going to get back at them after their father dies. And he said, as for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to bring about the saving of many. That's the perspective Joseph had on all these events by that time in his life. Now, we don't know what his perspective was, you know, riding on a camel with Midianite traders headed for Egypt. But we know at that time in his life, later on, his perspective as he looked at the panoramic of his life is that you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good for the saving of many. It really is an Old Testament version of what we read in Romans, that all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose and who are being conformed to the express image of his son. It's the same principle. Now, in Joseph's case, he has a call to greatness. We need to understand this about Joseph. Joseph would become essentially the most powerful person on the planet. Egypt was a mighty empire, if not the strongest kingdom on earth at that time, one of the mightiest kingdoms on earth. He would ascend to be the number two man with the signet ring of the king, Pharaoh, to make decrees and laws and put things in action. His business plan, his business model was so brilliant, not only did it save his own people, the Jews, because, of course, Jacob and the family came to find food during the seven-year famine, He saved the people where he dwelt and worked for, the Egyptians. He saved them as well. And they were grateful to give their property to the king because they were so happy to have food. And he saved people from other lands who came there for food. His business model and his understanding of human workings is unparalleled and similar to someone like Solomon in that sense of the ability to manage, to govern, foresight, decision-making, saving of of not just himself, but his family, the nation that would become his family, the Jews, the nations he was with, and other people. He had a great calling. He's going all the way to top. Because really, even though Joseph ascended to the two spot, he really, he was running the company. He ran the flocks for his dad. We saw that in the chapter here. He He was the administrator for the flocks. At 17, he ran, he's going to run Potiphar's household, administrate it. He's going to administrate the prison, and then he's going to administrate this greatest kingdom on earth. He was headed for greatness. That's my point. And to be entrusted with so much greatness, he had to be prepared for it. There was a calling, a great calling on his life. Even as we think tonight, there's a great calling on all of our lives. Every one of our lives, we have a great calling. We talk about the call of God in our lives all the time. And we're at different junctures in our timeline. We're all moving toward eternity. Only the Lord can look down right now and know exactly how how many days each of us has before we step into eternity. We can guess based upon our ages what our timeline might, might be. But he's not done. And we always want our greatest moment with the Lord to be in front of us, not behind us. So when we come to this text tonight, I'd like to think of us as we look at Joseph and go forward in this text. And having read this background, that the principles that we can learn from him, particularly in this chapter, should encourage us to be stirred for greater things with the Lord in our lives, personally, within our homes, with the people we love and live with, and within this church that there's greater things to come. There's greatness 
right around the corner with Jesus. As I was sharing with my sister the other day, I said, I, I'm just, I want to believe God for just great things, incredible things, and better things than we've ever seen in human history. And if he doesn't choose to do it, that's his choice because he's sovereign and this is universe. But I don't want to limit what he can do because of my unbelief. So if he wants to heal with a handkerchief like he did with Paul the Apostle, then good, bring me a healing handkerchief. If he wants to throw holy water on people and raise them from the dead, then good, bring me some of that holy water and let's raise people from the dead. I want to believe God for the greatest things ever according to his character, his word, his promises, and the future of humanity and this planet until the day of Christ Jesus, and so should you. And why wouldn't we? But to get to the place of greatness, however we would define that with the Lord, there's a, there's a journey. There are three key flashpoints in this chapter that jump out at us because this is the beginning of a big, 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 big thing. In fact, you might say the bigger the dream, the deeper the pit because that's how it works with God. To whom much is given, much is required. It's been said that those people that soar at the greatest heights of the, in the human experience with the Lord, they often descend to the deepest valleys as well. And we see that in the making of this person, this man of God, Joseph. We see his tunic, his coat. We see his dream, and we see his pit. There are three key factors in this chapter moving toward greatness in this man's life, this teenager's life. His coat, his dream, and the pit. These are flashpoints. These are critical flashpoints that tell us so much about this person and what it means in our lives. First of all, the coat. The coat is a coat of distinction. Jacob did have favorites. And it's, it's very natural to have favorites in the human experience. If you're a boss and you manage a Starbucks like Kaylee, Alex's wife, and you've got a, six assistant managers, and one of them always shows up, early, does the job, doesn't give sass, does a great job, doesn't go home till it's all put in order, and they, they cause you the least problems, and they do the most work, and they benefit the company, and you've got other assistant managers that show up late, are always complaining, and don't have good people skills, but they're still an assistant manager, you're naturally going to gravitate toward the one that is better than the other. It's a natural thing, especially if you're the owner of the Starbucks or whatever, or a business in that situation. I remind us whenever these things come up, God does make distinctions. It's not one shoe fits everybody in God's kingdom. In the parable of the minus, he gives one, 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 two, and one, five. It's for him to decide. When he dispersed carts amongst the Levites, he gave subdivisions to the Levites, some more carts than others based upon their needs. So you can't just say because you're a, a Kohathite, well, why don't we get a cart? Why do we have to carry everything around and they get a cart? Listen, God knows what he's doing. Be thankful you get to carry around the Ark of the Covenant and let the, let the Mararites worry about their carts. God draws distinctions. This planet's moving toward this, so, this total pluralistic equality that we all get the same thing and the same thing back. And let me tell you what they told me in Russia. Because I asked a lot of Russian people that lived during the Soviet Union about what communism was like and that form of socialism and equality they had. I can tell you, as a second-hand witness from everyone I spoke to, they were equal, all right. They were equally miserable. They were equally unmotivated 
to pursue greatness because there was no benefit in it in the structure of their government. And God does give more to him who has. To him who has, more will be given. But to him who doesn't have, even what he does have, will be taken. In fact, sometimes, according to what Jesus says, it's taken from the one who did nothing with it and given to the one who has done something with it. This is important. Now, I'm not saying parents love one kid more than another. And I'm not saying grandparents love some grandkids more than another. I'm just saying in the human experience, we all know that some people are a blessing on your life and and just really seem to fully get it. And some people you might consider a burr in your saddle and they're an agitation, it's difficult, and you might be yoked to them from here to eternity because they live in your house, they're part of your family, they're in your trust, in your estate, or they have, they're tenured at your job and there's no way anyone's firing them. That's the way it works. And in this distinction, outwardly, it would seem unfair, like Jacob isn't afraid to show his favoritism. He, okay, so the tunic... It can be multiple colors. It can be long. It is a coat of distinction. In the Hebrew, we know it's a coat of distinction. I don't know. It sounds silly, but just because Luke worked at Starbucks all those years, he had the, uh, the black apron, which means he knew he was a coffee connoisseur. You know, like he knew all the different coffees and which pastries you eat with the coffee. You know? And so when you walk into Starbucks and they got, everyone's got a green, you know, apron, and Luke's there with the black apron. He's like, yes, and like, ooh, you know, he's a coffee connoisseur. You know, it's a distinction. It's a It's a distinction. His jacket in their household, which was, of course, an economy, because Jacob's household was an economy. It was a, it was a perpetuating economy with all their wealth. He's got the jacket. Now, here's what's funny. We're told he has it because he's the son of the woman he loved that he worked seven years as if it was nothing, Rachel. It's, of course, Rachel's gone. She's in eternity. And she died in childbirth with Benjamin, Joseph's younger brother, who's a key player in this story as we go forward in the coming month. Jacob gave Joseph the coat more than likely from the context because he was the link to Rachel. He was the link. You look like your mother. Every time I see you, I see your mother, and I loved your mother. And seven years working for your uncle Laban was like nothing. I just can't let anything happen to you. You're you're my favorite because you remind me of the, of the one woman that was my one true love, Rachel. So I'm giving you this coat. These guys, they, they wipe out cities. They, I don't even know what to say about these guys. Reuben sleeping with Bill Hyde. Look, here's a coat for you. Because when you get all these adult kids, you realize there's just only so much you can encourage them to do or ask them to do. And then, you know, they're just going to make decisions. And I mean, the ultimate last thing you can do is say, go make it on your own. You want it that way, you pay your way that way. That's pretty much where they cross that line. Oh, you got it all figured out, huh? Okay, well, good luck. Or as they say in Chile, buena suerte. (laughs) It's like, yeah. And there was a distinction that Jacob gave. But here's what's important. As much as his earthly father gave him a distinction, he already had a distinction from his heavenly father. Because Joseph is indeed a young man of faith. We know that when he's in Potiphar's house and this powerful woman, most likely an attractive woman because she's married to a captain of the guard, when she makes a move for him, he has self-control over that. He has exactly what his brothers, half-brothers, did not have, self-control. 
We know from the panoramic overview of Joseph's life that he's above reproach. He's just above reproach. You, there's no accusations. He's the type of Jesus, actually. There's no accusations. He's betrayed by his brothers and revealed to his brothers the second time, like Jesus in Israel. There's a lot of typologies with Joseph, with Jesus, that we'll get into as we go through his life. But as a whole, he was above reproach. When Jacob is prophesying over his children at the end of his life, he describes well Joseph and all the sons prophetically, correctly, but he just says, Joseph was a fruitful bow, just just fruitful in everything he did. We find in Joseph's life, as he goes forward, he finds favor wherever he goes, and he prospers wherever he goes. And from his own mouth, he says, how far be it for me to do this thing against the Lord? He had a fear of the Lord, and he had a heart for the Lord. So when we think about the coat being a distinction, separating him from the appearance of his brothers, his heart and his life and his faith and his integrity and his character separated him from the distinction of his brothers. He is nothing like his brothers. He is distinct, not because of the coat, but because of the character. And that coat on him didn't just say, I'm dad's favorite. It really said, I am different. And time and time again, for followers of Christ, we're exhorted to have that distinction. Like the bumper sticker says, not of this world. In this world, but not of this world. And it's a tricky thing. It's a tricky thing sometimes what that looks like. Because we're in the world, but we're not of the world. But just know this, he had a distinction. And the greatest distinction isn't a shirt that says like some Christian statement or a church or whatever, anything like that. The greatest distinction is really how we are in the secret and the quiet place. Who we really are with our integrity and our character as a woman, as a man. That's the distinction. See, because the greatness that came to Joseph's life, through Joseph's life, and entrusted to Joseph's life, to the blessings of millions in his timeline, plus generations to come, it really begins with the character of his heart and the integrity of his faith. He was very much set apart and distinct. That code of distinction is an outward testimony of an inward distinction and consecration to the Lord. You can rip the coat off that guy. You can deceive his father with that coat. And you can even rip the next coat off him like Potiphar's wife did. But the man under that coat is a man of character and integrity and conviction and faith. So you can rip his coats and you can rip them off him, but it doesn't change who he is. And that's why he's headed for greatness because of his character and who he really is in the secret, in the quiet place of the Lord. And that is a great application for you and I tonight. Anything great, truly great, is going to be spiritually great. And anything spiritually great is going to begin with humility, brokenness, and consecration to the Lord. It's, it's, going, to, it's going to begin with that sanctifying process, that separation. And like I said, we don't need a tunic coming from our earthly father to say, you're different than the other co-workers or the other kids in the family. We need a heart before the Lord that says we belong to the Lord and character counts, and we have conviction, and you can rip my coat off once, and you can, you can rip my coat off as my brother in Israel, and I'm going to be true to who I am, and you can rip my coat off and leave me naked in Egypt, and I'm going to be true to who I am. The tunic, the distinction from the world, we're set apart, 
are set apart. When that trumpet sounds at the return of the Lord, there are people going up to be at the Lord and people being left behind. It might be ambiguous and gray to people on planet Earth right now, but it is very clear and distinct. When that trumpet sounds, it only sounds once. Be very clear who's the Lord's and who is not. Character counts. Distinction, the code of distinction, is the outward manifestation of what was already clear to Jacob as well, that this kid has a higher standard self-governed before the Lord than I can impose on him or anyone else can impose on him. He makes the right choices because he fears God. And you're going to run my affairs at 17. Look at David. He was the last child in the household. Child number eight, boy number eight. What did, what did God tell Samuel? God doesn't look at the outward like man does. God looks at the heart. Yeah, so let me just say, the bigger you dream, the more important it is to be set apart for spiritual things. You can dream big in the world like lots of people do, but it just gets left behind. But to attempt great things for God and to expect great things from God, like William Carey so long ago said, the great missionary 200 years ago, there, there has to be, there has to be. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.